Good morning. <clears throat> Giving honor to God, who is the source of my supply and the source of yours as well, I want to address what a blessing it is and an honor for me to be here today. Um, I'm grateful to God for the privilege of having gone to Southwestern. This is my alma mater, and I'm glad to have the opportunity to come back and to share with you on this day uh, in chapel. Texas has long been uh, signal and important to me. It was when I moved to Texas that I found my wife and uh, married her, and, and uh, when I, we had our son seven years later. And so I'm, I'm grateful to Texas for many, many things along with the Cowboys. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> Likewise, it's, it's, a, it's at, as equal an honor for me to be able to stand before you and have the honor and the privilege of being able to meet Dr. Patterson in person. I've followed his career for a long time. Uh, I was in Southwestern back in the 80s, and Dr. Patterson was in Dallas, Texas at that time at the Criswell Bible Institute, and I followed his uh, leadership and his influence uh, in our convention. I've read his books and his literature, and Sister Patterson, I've read yours as well. And it's been a great honor for me to meet him today and to have a personal uh, opportunity to thank him for what he has done uh, not only for uh, Southern Baptist, but for the kingdom of God, and to have the honor of being able to watch how he unfolds his own personal legacy relative to Christianity. So thank you, Dr. Patterson, Sister Patterson, for this honor and this privilege of being able to be here and to meet with you today. Southwestern has, has been signaled to me in many ways, <clears throat> not just because of education, but also because of affirmation. I'm, I, I drove from Arizona to Fort Worth, Texas with the design and the desire to enroll in Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I had enough money in my pocket to pay for one semester. When I got to Abilene, the transmission in my car went out. And the money that I had for that one semester had to take care of the transmission in my car to get me from Abilene to Fort Worth. I got to Fort Worth, Texas. I didn't even have enough money for a daily uh, hotel. Y'all have those out here? A daily hotel. I had a friend of mine whose father was my pastor in college, and he had enrolled in seminary. He'd been married for about two weeks, and I asked him, could I stay at his place? He said, you got one night, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have a bed for you. <clears throat> you got to sleep on the floor. So I slept on his living room floor in married housing at that time. I slept on his living room floor one night. The next morning, I got up early and came over to the halls of Southwest and began to walk through the halls, and I saw a sign that said, apartment for rent. Didn't have a dime, but I pulled it off, and I went over and called them, and they invited me to come look at their place, and I went and looked at the place. They had three other roommates there, and they provided me an opportunity to stay with them but they said to me that um, we've already paid the rent for this month, so you don't have to pay any rent this month. That was one of the affirmations that God gave to me that I belonged here. Then I came to the seminary, and at that particular time, we registered by walking through a line. And we walked through a line, picked our classes out. I walked through the line, picked my classes out got to the end of the line to prepare to pay, didn't have a dime. Someone pulled me out of the line. I said, oh, they done found me out. 
they, they took me over to an individual by the name of Dr. Seelig at that moment. Dr. Seelig told me that my first semester had already been financed and paid for by Texas Baptist dollars. And so I was able to go that first semester, live that first month, because God made a way. And I'm grateful for that. And that has always been a long affirmation in my life that I'm doing exactly what God wanted me to do, and I'm exactly where God wants me to be. So I'm grateful, again, for this opportunity to be able to be here and to share with you today how God has progressed my ministry and how he has trans, uh, pro, uh, provided transportation from that day to this day. Let me invite your attention this morning, if you would, to the Old Testament and the book of Joshua. Joshua and the seventh chapter. Joshua chapter seven. When you found it, say amen. Say amen. If you're still looking, say hold on. Yeah, it's in the early part of the Old Testament, chapter 7. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. I'm sure you know that. I want to share with you today what God has given me from this particular text. Joshua chapter 7. I'm going to read just one verse into your hearing in your own private time with God. Read all of chapter 7, which makes up the context of what we want to talk about today. But because of the limitations on my time and the length of that passage, I'm going to lift up just verse number 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabde, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of, of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. And if I were to tag this text this morning, I would tag it, what makes God angry? What makes the Lord angry? In our day and time today, we talk quite often about the love of God and things that God loves and things that God appreciates. But what makes the Lord angry is likewise and equally a subject that you and I ought to be able to discuss and understand as well, faithfully as we do what God loves and what he appreciates, what he supports, but what he stands against, what, what makes him angry. Anger can be defined as a strong feeling of displeasure because of something that has been done or gone wrong. What makes God angry? Jonathan Edwards has a famous sermon that I'm sure you've either heard about or potentially may even have read. The title of his sermon is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And Jonathan Edwards, that great Puritan preacher, wanted us to understand that there is a purpose to the anger of God and that God is a person not just of love, but he also is someone who has some anger as well. Specifically, what Jonathan Edwards was talking about was the fact that God will not let everybody go to heaven. Everybody's not going to be able to go to the great by and by. Everybody, just because you live, uh, the, the fact that you live a particular way does not mean that God is going to be lenient and forgive everything. One of the unique things about anger is that anger reveals to us, regardless as to who is expressing it, anger reveals to us some boundaries in their life. When a person gets angry, we recognize that we have stepped across a particular boundary. When someone is upset, we have the awareness that we have stepped across a particular boundary. So born out of this text, I want to talk 
this morning for just a few moments about some of the things that make God angry. And out of this passage of Scripture, one of the things that I see that makes God angry is when there is the presence of perpetrators. I say it again, the presence of perpetrators. Verse number one, it says, the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zebdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Unique in this passage is that there is a plural subject, the people of Israel. God is not just angry with one person, he's angry with everyone. It's the people of Israel. That's a plural subject, but there's a plural subject and a singular object. The singular object is Achan, the one individual. So the plural subject is the people of Israel. They broke faith in regard to the devoted things, but the singular object is Achan, the son of Carmi, who took some of the devoted things. In this passage of scripture, what, what the, the, the Bible is trying to indicate to us is that there are times when you and I have to be very careful about who we hang around with, about who we associate with, about who we hang out with. The text says that the people got in trouble. You and I here all, all throughout our communities nowadays, we hear about how blessings can be passed from person to person. You go into the New Testament, we see how when the disciples were fishing and they were unable to catch any fish, but Jesus got on the boat with them and they were able to catch fish and they caught more fish than they could keep in the boat. And so they called some of the other fishermen around them. And some of these other fishermen who were around them came and they were able to receive the blessing of fish because they were around individuals who received the blessing from Jesus. And we understand about the blessings but quite often we fail to share with people that if you hang around the wrong kind of people, not only do blessings transfer, but curses transfer as well. And the anger of God kindled against the children of Israel because of who they were hanging out with. I never shall forget when I was um, getting ready to go from, <coughs> from elementary school to junior high school. It's middle school now, but it was junior high school at that time, seventh, eighth grade. I was, I was transferring from elementary school to junior high school. While I was in elementary school, the school system that I was in provided for busing. When I got to junior high school, busing stopped. So my mother said to me on one day, uh, one occasion, as I was getting ready for school, and I'm excited because now I get to walk to school and to walk home from school. And I'm very excited about that because I'm, I'm sensing some liberty. I'm, I'm sensing some freedom. Um, I'm planning some mischief. <laughs> and, and my mother knew me very well. And uh, she said to me on one occasion before school started, she said, Bobby, I want you to know this is how school is going to happen this year. She says, I'm going to get up in the morning before I go to work and I'm going to drop you off at school. But I want you to apply for all of the after-school sports programs that they have. And I'm looking at her like she lost her mind. 
because for me, after school now, I get to walk home with my boys. I get to hang out with the, with the guys. I get to do some mischief on the way home. But my mother was much smarter than I. She said, during football season, I want you to go out for football, flag football. During basketball season, I want you to go out for basketball. During baseball season, I want you to go out for baseball. And I'm looking at her like, why? I don't even like all those things. And she says to me, because while you are there at school playing those sports, it will give me enough time to get off work, drive by the school, pick you up, and bring you home. Now, little did I know how wise my, my mother was in that, in that particular case. But my boys, they got to walk home. They got to get into mischief. They got to act up and play and, and fool around and, and do crazy things while I had to stay at school, play football, basketball, baseball, waiting on my mother to drive from her job to pick me up so that I wouldn't walk home and get into mischief. One day in high school, I was over one of my friend's homes. And, and while I was there, the, the three of them began to laugh. Have you ever been in a situation where people are laughing about somebody, ain't nobody telling you what the joke is about? <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm watching them and, and they're, having a, they're laughing, they're, they're, they're patting each other on the back, laughing and, 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 and talking in a way that was covert to me because I, I had no idea what had transpired. Finally, I, I coaxed them into telling me what had transpired, and they indicated to me that on one of those occasions that they walked home from school, that the three of them had molested a young lady. I knew at that moment I got to back up from these boys. And my mother was so wise because had I been hanging with them, I too would have been an accomplice to whatever it was that they did. Can I tell you the difference between them and me now? I graduated high school, they did not. I went to college, they did not. I was called into ministry, they did not. I came to Southwestern and graduated, they did not. I've gone on to pastor a church, they did not. They've been in jail, I have not. They've been strung out on drugs, I have not. Their life has not been put together to this day. They are still living in that vagabond Ichabod life, the anger of God because of hanging out with the wrong people. And you and I today, in this politically charged climate that we have in our society and our world today, we got to be very, very careful about who we associate with, who we align with, who we put our name down for. This is a day and a time when if if there ever was one, when the people of God need to be very sure that we're standing up for the causes that God wants us to stand up for. One of the things that makes God angry is when we have the presence of perpetrators. Another thing that makes God angry out of this passage of Scripture is when we have pursuit without, without, without providence. Pursuit without providence. So in verse number two, the text talks about how Joshua sent some spies out to go spy out Ai. And they go spy out Ai, they come back and they tell Joshua, we can handle Ai. It's no big deal. We can take care of Ai. In fact, we don't even have to send the whole army. Just send 2,000, maybe 3,000 people at the most, and we will be able to defeat Ai. Joshua sends people to Ai. And the text tells us, as we go on and read it, that they so vanquished 
the 3,000 men that Joshua sent to Ai, that they came rushing back with their hearts in their hands because of how fearful they was. They were. See, Joshua assumed that because we won the battle at Jericho, that God wants us to win this battle at Ai. The problem with Joshua here in this text is that he makes an assumption on what, what God, what, what he thinks God may have him to do. And you and I in this day and time have got to be very, very careful about making assumptions about what God would have us to do. There's a song that our churches sing, and it says, order my steps in your word, dear Lord. Lead me, guide me every day. Send your anointing, Jesus, I pray. Order my steps in your word. The proverbial writer says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Be very careful about assuming that God wants you to do this or assuming that God wants you to do that. I've had so many men who've come to me and, and, and because on their job they've been offered a raise, offered a new position. They assume that because there's more money involved, that it's a no-brainer, that this is exactly what God wants me to do. But the fact of the matter is, it may not be what God wants you to do. There are other things that you have to consider besides the fact that you're gonna get more income in your pocket. How much time is it gonna take away from your family? How much time is it gonna take away from your children? Consider those things and consider what God is saying as it relates to whether or not God wants you to pursue something. He assumed that because we won in Jericho, God wants us to win here in Ai. And then finally, out of this text, not only the presence of perpetrators, pursuit without provocation, but there was prayer without penitence. So when they ran back, the text says Joshua tore his clothes, fell on the ground for a season of time, cried out to the Lord, why did you allow this to happen to me? We're so sorry about what transpired. The Lord shows up and speaks to Joshua and tells him, what's your problem? Get up. Get up. Don't, don't try that with me. Get up, Joshua. And Joshua gets up and the, and, and the Lord speaks to him. And the Lord tells him, you got a problem in the camp. All this crying and praying and ripping your clothes, that means nothing to me because you're not, you have not dealt with the problem in the camp. And until you get the problem in the camp taken care of, you are just playing around in your prayer. And some of us today have prayer without penance. We don't really mean it. You know the problem with Joshua is not that he was sorry, but that he got caught. That's the problem with him. He got caught. And for many of us today, that's our, our issue. When we pray to God, we ask God to forgive us, we're not really sorry because we don't remove the problem from our life. What's going on is that we got caught. And when you get caught, then you act like we are, like we're sorrowful. But here in this passage of Scripture, the Lord calls them out on it and tells them, you, you, you're not really sorry until you remove what's going on in the camp. Ne never forget this. God can not only see your face, he can see your heart. Many of us are familiar with young men, young women, maybe some of you have done it, who would give their life to Christ 
so they say, early on in life, only later on in life to give their life to Christ again because potentially they say that when I did it the first time, I didn't really mean it. But this time, I mean business with the Lord. And you and I have got to recognize that what God wants from us is just as simple as the invitation song that we used to sing, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that you bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. And the second verse, as Dr. Reynolds would say, just as I am, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Thank you.